Hey, everybody! It is Yasser! I forgot my line. I'm just kidding. It's Isaiah! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are from my brother Sneaker, and we've got a little announcement. We are teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you three exclusive uh, episodes. Uh, Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moment from a ton of podcasts and creates playlist clips from a bunch of shows. And you can just search and try them out and find anything that you love. For instance... Oh, yeah. There's a playlist on there uh, called Slice of Life, which is all about like crazy and incredible things that happen to everyday people. Like, I just learned this, bro. I just learned some people pay their bills on time, dog. Oh, is that a thing? Dog, people will have a bill due date, and they will pay that bill before then. That's crazy to me. Before then. You know what else is crazy? What? Spook also has a, a lot of fun, exclusive content from Feral Audio. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, like our tournament episodes are going to be, oh, like, yeah. you know, there's going to be stuff like Sleep With Me, a lot of our, our other great shows here at Feral. You don't want to miss it. Yep. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of my brother's sneakers exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash my brother's sneakers. Model boys, cute boys, round butt boys all day. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough. And to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D-S-T-L-D, you get like brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again, break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com right now and use the promo code FERAL and check out and get it. I 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Thank you for listening to my show. If you haven't listened to it before, it is just what it uh, says there in the title. It's a conversation with me, um, Matt Dwyer. And as I uh, have mentioned in some recent uh, shows, I am focusing on creativity and artists and whatnot. And um, this uh, episode is great. I speak with Clark Whittington, who is the creator of Artomat, uh, which he, he does... Well, he's going to tell you about it, but he helps uh, distribute individuals' arts, artsies, things all around the world um, through these Artomat vending machines. It's pretty awesome. But I'm going to let him tell you about it. So uh, I'm not going to do a big, long intro today. not going to dick around. I'm just going to get into this episode. Let's uh, talk with Clark Winnington. Enjoy. 
I want to say when I told people that I was going to be talking with you and 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 mention the Artomat, people get extremely excited. It's like it elicits a great deal of joy. I, I'm not sure if you're fully aware. I'm. I would assume you're aware of that. Well, you know, I live in a bubble, so I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, I go out and. You know, I'm a little reclusive and work in my basement garage, so I don't know if I really know what's going on out there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's good to hear. That makes me happy to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I it's definitely a very... I, I, I knew about it, and I can tend to be somewhat of a reclusive fellow myself, uh-huh. so... Uh, and an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but just for my listeners who don't, uh, exactly know what the automat is. Do you mind uh, just giving a brief description of that? Sure, sure. Uh, well, an automat is a uh, repurposed cigarette machine uh, that has been uh, converted to sell works of art. So, I started doing my doing this in 1997 as a one-time art piece. is based on a friend of mine who had a, a Pavlovian reaction to snack wrappers. So when he would hear the crinkle of cellophane, he would always go buy something. And that happened in the late 80s. When I moved to Winston around 96, uh, someone told me that you know cigarette machines were going to be banned in 97. And they saw my sketchbook, and I kind of picked one up. People were just throwing them out. And the first artimat was one of 13 pieces at this coffee shop that I had my first art show in in town after I moved here. Um, selling things for a dollar each, and uh, as soon as it was there, I could tell people were, you know, I think they were, I figured out there was more to it than I, maybe I had imagined, because I thought I'd just get rid of the machine after the month was over. Uh, but people were digging it, and the coffee shop owner said, you can't take this out. We love it too much. Uh, so uh, that's when the project went from a me to a we, and then uh, we started inviting other artists to be a part of it. Uh, so now, 16 years later, we have around 100, 120 machines, um, two in Australia, two in Canada, one in Austria, and then coast to coast, uh, even one in Hawaii. Um Still very grassroots, but we have a little bit more reach, I guess. Isn't it, I mean, kind of amazing that you just, you didn't expect this, and then to have something, I guess, take off to such a level, isn't that kind of mind-boggling, or? Yeah, it it, ha- it grew legs, and um, I didn't expect it. Uh, but, you know, as as artists started trusting me with their work, I felt a responsibility to to really give this a a good go, so I, I do my best to try to make sure you know it doesn't turn to cheese, and uh, <laughs> we have a level of respect. <laughs> you know, how, uh, how do artists approach you to to be a part of that? Um, <clears throat> well, our website uh, is out there, and that's how most people find us. And word of mouth, like uh, kind of what you just tapped on people know about us and they spread the word and they really like it um but when i install a machine i i do like to lecture do a small lecture and, and invite 
artists to be involved. Uh, you know, I think just looking artists in the eye and say, hey, we really want you to be a part of this uh, can go a long way. Um, but, you know, most artists who are a proper fit for Artemat, I mean, they they find us and and they get it. Uh, you know, we sometimes artists who who this would be something very new to them, they struggle with with what we do. Uh, if it's not the size, it's the money breakdown. But um, you know, end of day, we're I just want to share this with the world and uh, get art into people's hands and have fun and and not be burdened with you know traditional industry or retail mindsets just just you know go out there and do it uh, uh starting to ramble a little bit on that front but uh <laughs> i was i was completely in so i, I was <laughs> I, well, I, well you know uh i think that we're we're pushing things a little bit even though artemat has become more mainstream just by nature i mean uh, our hosts have to have work that is appropriate for their venue. Uh, but others can take any content, you know, but we hardly ever go over rated R. We never go over rated R, let's put it that way, because that's not the format for what we do. But uh, but as we go into these various communities, maybe regional smaller art centers or coffee shops, uh, you know, we're reaching people who, have never heard of Artemad, and and sometimes they struggle, sometimes they really get it. But uh, I think if any artist is interested in what we do, I I have the patience and time to work with them. Uh, and if I think if they're interested at all, we can figure out a way so they can be involved. Uh, but a lot of artists are really settled in their process, and and they immediately immediately like to say, I can never do work that small, or I can never do work for that price but the ones that do uh are having fun with it and they're making contacts so it seems like a good challenge you know to a, a way to take artists out of their comfort zone like you said they they are like oh i don't know if i could do that but it's like what a great opportunity to explore a new territory oh, for yourself exactly uh funny you bring that up one artist uh told me you know i'm i'm 47 so if you've been out of art school for a while Sometimes you can be in a rut. And this one artist told me, he's like, wow, I really needed an assignment. And this was it. <laughs> you know, uh, he, you know how a teacher would say, okay, you got to do this within this little parameter. Uh, he viewed it as, as that. And he said it led him to think about, it led to other sort of designs. And, you know, where Artemat immediately started to kind of, come from his larger work once he started doing Artemat uh, that influenced his larger work in the back at it you know in the back so it's a circle I guess would you say overall perhaps there needs to be a challenge in the art community that because uh, just from some other artists I've talked to like it's very difficult to get uh, into galleries unless you go the art school sort of route like I know the interviewed this guy Brian Lewis uh, Saunders, I don't know if you're aware of him, um, um, but he he does incredible stuff, but he's not 
I guess he's he's not like formally trained, and he didn't go through art school, so he's like, I don't have those connections, so he just has to do it himself. Do you do you feel like there's sort of a barrier between a lot of artists and that sort of, I guess, elitist art world? Uh, well, you know, your your questions were breaking up a little bit, but I, I think I got what you asked. Uh, yeah, I came from, uh, you know, I'm from the South, and under the shadow of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, so I got out of art school. Uh, my mom has was self-taught and was a illustrator and package designer. Uh, she got her art degree through a correspondence course in the 50s. So I was surrounded by art and ideas. Uh, but where I lived in Concord, North Carolina, it was if you didn't paint a barn, then it wasn't art. Uh, and then after college, um, the the two major banks, which was NCMB and First Union back then, Nations Bank, but uh, you know they had huge art collections and they had a few commercial galleries that that worked that they worked with, and that's about all the art scene Charlotte had. So uh, I was doing some funky stuff by the time. I got out of college, uh, and me and some buddies just started a gallery in the in the hood, uh, north side of Charlotte, and um, or north of Davison. That's what it's called. Now it has a it's called Noda, which is uh, once it gets once the district uh, gets a consumer friendly acronym, that means the artists are probably on their way out once they own property. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we were smashing pinatas full of of gravel and atomic fireballs and filling the place with sand. And, uh, you know, we just had to do it on our own. Uh, You know, gallery-wise, about the only place I had any luck showing work was college galleries that, you know, they have all this room and they want to show stuff. Uh, Commercial galleries, no way. I mean, even today, if, if you... If you're not paying a bill, they they don't want any part of of what you do. So uh, I've always enjoyed doing things on my own. Uh, so as far as you know, Artemac goes. I mean, it, it reaches people that may have never uh, bought art before, or maybe they don't live with it. So it does kind of break down some of those barriers. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. Like the homes I would go into as a child, or even, you still see this a lot, like, nobody, people rarely have original art, they, they'll have a print that says Art Institute of Chicago at the bottom, yeah, or something, and I think people just are like, that's art, and I, I don't, why are people sort of art, uh, I don't know what you would say, challenged, well, art, artistically challenged? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I mean, even farmhouses, like my my mom grew up in a farmhouse, and, you know, people used to have some art. Or if it was a poster, for some reason, like, the Blue Boy was popular in in rural areas. You know, that guy all wearing the fancy blue outfit and staring straight at you is a famous <laughs> painting. Um, I forget the artist's name, just because, you know. Art. I took art history a long time ago, <laughs> but but uh, but even then it was like there was some art. Uh, but I think you know 
over the years, people uh, just somehow lost the meaning of, of why they'd even have art. Um, you know, but I am from the state of Jesse Helms, who tried to demonize artists. Uh, you know, if, if you're an artist, you must be a social deviant. You must be doing something weird. But, uh, but you know, from my point of view, what I've noticed, if if an artist will be genuine trying to explain to someone what they do, people will usually be receptive unless uh, unless they have other issues. You know, the, so I, I was able to to explain my conceptual art to ex-cannon mill workers and, and farmers. And so this is after college when I started wearing funny clothes and just making art out of scraps. And sometimes my neighbor, who was a lifetime mill worker, uh, he wouldn't leave his yard unless you invited him. And, and uh, I'd go over there and talk to him, and he'd start asking what I was doing. And there were times he'd come over and just watch me make art out in the yard. And uh, and then he would help me with uh, with things that he, he was familiar with. Like he knew how to build things. And I was right out of college. I didn't know how to do stuff sometimes. And so, <laughs> you know? So uh, I think that somewhere that language uh, disappeared. And I wish we could get it back. Uh, the art language. Um, one other example I knew that Artemat was going to be something different was when... I was explaining my my art show in June of '97 to a police officer, and and he wanted he was curious about it and he wanted to know about it, and a lot of the pieces I had were visual stories. Um, all the items usually had some sort of backstory and meaning, and after I explained to him everything and we we're standing in front of the artemat, so I just explained to him each piece. He wanted to know about each piece. And then we we're standing in front of the artemat, and he said, "Well, your art is right smart." Well, that was the best compliment I've ever had. Uh, you know, it's like art critics don't say that Picasso is right smart. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> someone that says that has worked with their hands, and they're from the earth, and they're real. Uh, but with contemporary people now living with art. Uh, I think technology has made it really rough for artists, not just from just uh, the fact that TVs now replace where a, a major painting would go in someone's house, but uh, but just the accessibility and confusion where people do think that some things are art, and they're so far off the mark. I mean, some people think that you know handmade bicycles are is an art form. No, that's, that's craft. Um, and then sometimes people can be really snug, smug about art. And what I found with that is that comes from people who are, have successful jobs and think they have all the answers. So they think they have no idea what art is, but they have a strong opinion of what they think art is. Uh, uh, what that means is we're as artists, I think we're, we're part of the educational process to try to at least, I think we should make an effort to, well, at least some artists are capable of doing that. I feel like I am. Other artists are probably better off just not trying to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> you, you brought up something that made me think like, 
there's so many means of, um, I guess, expression, like, say, like, Instagram, or now everybody can have a blog, so everybody's a writer. Yeah. Uh, almost anybody can make music now with the fucking garage band and what... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, do you think that is... Do you think that's helpful or sort of hurtful, or does it is it putting too much out there that perhaps it uh, makes it harder for other artists? Like, I, I guess perhaps uh real artists if that can be said is uh hmm. harder for them to get out there i don't know how to answer that actually i mean i see a lot of positive things <laughs> uh but i came from uh when i got out of college i did graphic design because i was born into it and and then i stopped doing graphic design when the industry tanked around 2002 for me uh so through my lifetime well, basically, uh, I used to think that art and money shouldn't mix. So I didn't want to compromise my art by trying to make it sellable. And I think I've done that my whole life, and I feel good about that. Even with Artimat, I don't want machines everywhere. You know, I could care less if somebody hosts a machine or not. Yeah, we do need money now, but I'm more concerned with the relationship. So uh, I think I still stand on, on that aspect, but I am dealing with art and money, and, and I've had to adjust to that because I used to think that money would corrupt art. But um, but as far as like technology with graphic design, uh, I noticed soon, uh, you know, I, I was one of the first wave to learn the Mac. Uh, I was on that little box, the black and white one that had McPaint and McDraw and things like that. I have noticed that a lot of industries have suffered because of of some technology. And this, you know, sign shops, for instance, are the worst. People don't know how to current type. Uh, it's all vinyl. There's no skill involved, really. So that reduces the jobs that are out there. Uh, so as far as art, I don't know how to answer that because I've never been in a situation where art was really a way for people to make a living. Except, I mean, when I'm talking about selling paintings and sculpture and things of that nature. So I just wish that people wouldn't confuse it, uh, you know. Yeah, I always I always joke to my... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, nah, no, nah, uh, there was a thump upstairs. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Maybe a dog had something. But, uh, you know... Not everyone is an artist. I mean, what I've noticed, too, is uh, I used to keep art, Artemat, and my graphic design different. I mean, uh, at a distance, away from each other, compartmentalized, because when I was in graphic design, I mean, I was in art school, um, a lot of people kept those worlds apart, and even out in the industry, like, ah, uh, an artist uh, couldn't hack it you know, to be a designer. And then an artist say about designers, like, oh, they're a sellout. I mean, there's a lot of tension between those two camps, and I I did both. So I kind of walked around uh, keeping it separate for all those years. But then it came to a point where technology did change things. And uh, even now you see artists are using graphic design materials to install their work, do their work. They're doing prints and, you know, things like that. And then ad agencies are having galleries now just so they can look cool. 
and, and graphic designers having art shows just so they can say, hey, look at, you know, look what we did. So it's real confusing to me on that part. But with Artemat, it kind of, it all kind of came together. And, and I think it's a graceful balance. I mean, you know, our machines had had to start looking nicer, and I'm, I'm glad that I had some of the skills to clean them up a little bit because they're pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, the 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 ones I've seen, and definitely the photos I've seen online. I mean, there's there some of them are super. I mean, they're amazing. <laughs> it's like oh, thanks. Man. I mean, just to look at at the machines or the 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 I guess calling it a machine isn't proper, but. To, it's... No, it's a machine. It's just I do view it as a, a piece of art. I mean, that's one thing. Uh, you know, one of my friends told me years ago, he was in advertising, and he's like, "Man, you got to start tricking those things out," because I was being too conservative, uh, and I was just slapping Artemat on on the front of these machines, and and you know, the last thing, I mean, the last thing I'd want to do is to make them all cookie cutter. I want to try to make each one look a little bit different so it's so it's special and personal you know um and that's the concept of artemat is to be very personal because you know to actually be in front of a machine and make a selection and have something land in your hand that's a physical connection between the artist and buyer uh and it's amazingly human considering it's coming from this mechanical device <laughs> you know because it's a handmade work going to a human but delivered with by this thing <laughs> you know yeah it, <clears throat> so I, uh, yeah i saw in the interview you said you part of it is to uh, break down the pretension of art which i think is is pretty great because i come from a working class family and it was like it was something not encouraged to be a part of art really and and right. I, and i think but i think everybody do you think everybody is innately creative because i mean most of us draw and color and do things as kids and and build uh, but somewhere we get uh, we get shoved away from it <laughs> yeah uh, i think we are uh i i think you've you nailed it um one thing that is unfortunate in this country is that we've lost the uh, the visual language because, you know, a lot of industries, they love to talk about their importance. Like, I mean, end of day, you have to have something visual to communicate what you build or do or you got to have visualization skills. Even if you're a lawyer, you have to understand how something will play out or if you're a doctor i mean they, they have medical illustrators uh you have to conceptualize what is under that organ i mean you and if we don't continue to educate people in that way uh i mean we'll just be a, a country of widget makers you know and, <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean I, i'm it's it's interesting uh you know, my wife, she works in healthcare, and I think some of her colleagues, uh, you know, it took them a long time to understand what I do, but now they're really on board, and, uh, and they get it, you know, about as much as I think, you know, they can, being they're not really always in the art. But, uh, but I think that, you know, 
uh, coming from a very logical sort of profession, uh, I think they're they're just trained to to do their gig and not always think outside the box. I don't know. Maybe I'm overstepped that comment a little bit, but but I do think that uh, uh, you know engineers and uh, some of my other friends in the industry, uh, they eventually came around, you know. Yeah, but I think that, that most people are, are, are creative. Right? It's kind of amazing when you tell someone that you do something creative for, not just do it, but f- that it's your entire life. People are always like, really? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. They can't. <laughs> and, but I think also that... Uh, when I said that too, I was going to say that you make your living at it, but it's like, I don't know if because you make your living at it means that we, our society views it as if you're making a living at it, then you're, you're justified in some way, which I think is horribly, Ridic- horribly wrong. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because we were t- talking about the, like sort of the hoity-toity uh, sort of galleries and stuff, but it's, which is, a lot of that stuff, like when I lived in New York, it, it, those worlds were very, um, they made you, if you came into that world, they made you, or maybe it was my working class blue collar chip on my shoulder, but they, yeah. I didn't feel welcomed in that world. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. But it's int- I, I get that now. I, I totally get that to this day. I've been doing this 16 years, you know, have a machine at in the Whitney, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, eight machines at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And there's some people in this art world, some museums, uh, collectors, board members, they, you know, will ignore me to my face. I, I've I've been there, uh, and it's it's because I'm not making anyone rich, or I'm not. It's not. I can't work an angle to to uh, to use me or Artemat to make themselves look better. So I think that's maybe what you're talking about. I think uh, some of the cliquish collector scenes, uh, they just kind of follow follow in line after one person that they uh, strive to be, and then that person has it, so they, they got to have it, you know. Yeah. Uh, they don't have the guts to go buy an artist that they think is valid, and they don't have the vision to do it because they're so trained to to be a part of that click. It's interesting. Uh, so there's a reason why Artemat is not in commercial galleries, because uh, we're not making anyone rich. And also, I, you know, I'm probably a little, little uh, gruffy at times when people start talking too much about money when we're in host negotiations. I, I try to scare people off, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It's but a, you know, uh, once people get a machine, if they don't, if I don't scare them off, then that means we're going to have a, a a decent working relationship for five, ten, twenty years. So, do you think like somebody who is entering into art school should be weary of such things? And you know, because it's because I had an ex girlfriend who went to the Art Institute of Chicago, and she ended up switching schools because she felt like they just taught. She didn't feel like she was learning. Uh, I guess the skills or the the te- tech techniques, it was right. all more just like theory and like do what you want. But she was like, people are coming out of this school and not really knowing how to paint. <laughs> it's like yeah. And it's, are you uh, are you familiar with uh, 
Daniel Klaus, any of his comics? Um, I did, he, he did Ghost World. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, he did Art School Confidential, and that was one of his, uh, as a movie, but it was a comic before that. And then one of the things he did was The Truth, which was a comic about art school. And basically, uh, you know, it, it, it taps on that where, uh, you know, he came from a background where he had skills, but uh, the conceptual stuff was getting all the attention. Uh, and a lot of people didn't have skills, so uh, he kind of tapped on that a little bit. Uh, I had a great experience in my college, but I can say I I didn't come away with maybe the skills that uh, I thought I needed. And then when I went to grad school, uh, uh, some of the teachers, honestly, they targeted me because of that gallery. I started in the hood, and I, was, I guess I was a little cocky. Uh, and and plus, I came, I quit my graphic design job to go to grad school, and one of the guys kind of got in my face during this graduate review. One of the teachers, like, I guess he thought I was some sort of silver spoon or something. He's like, uh, artists aren't given anything. You have to earn it, you know, like – like maybe thought that uh, I had some sort of soft focused view about art school or something, and and he was he was just uh, he's probably hitting sauce pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or or he had some sort of issue. He 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 had a chip on his shoulder, and and then some of the other professors fell in line with him, and uh, and there was one teacher I was learning something from there. Learning he was a Matisse. Matisse sort of influenced artist, and he taught me the basics of how to draw just with two classes. And I only went a year, and uh, the other people were just—I think—they were wanting job security. They, you know, I graduated pretty much high in my class, and didn't have to on my records didn't have to take any more classes to go to grad school. But once the graduate reviews came, they started to say I had to take more classes just because. Uh, you know, I was a hard head, and they got in my grill, so I just quit. Uh, I think I can see what your friend – I think I understand what she went through. I mean, uh, most of the stuff I learned uh, that really helped me for the long term was with one or two creative directors in graphic design that, that kind of were good at teaching, and they knew what they wanted, and they wanted it, you to help them do it. And they wouldn't let you go home until you had till you did it, <laughs> and and that that's better than trying to grade, getting a grade or something. It's like, you know, we got to do this photo shoot, and I want you to help me style this and build this prop, and you know, in the studio's book today, this is the only day we got it. You, you know, if we stay till one in the morning, that's the deal. You know, I learned a lot from that. Um, you know, and that. I don't know. I think industry helped me up to a point. Uh, but the whole time, you know, I have ideas uh, that I never write down just because you can only do so much. Uh, but I, I love concepts, and, and that's what kind of keeps me going. Uh, so It seems like, it almost seems like our society, or I guess, I mean like um, uh, the United States, makes it, 
very difficult to uh, to become an artist because it's like like you were saying earlier Jesse Helms was very against art and I feel like you know like a lot of other countries uh, have fund artists I know in Ireland they don't even charge artists don't pay taxes which is pretty uh -huh. amazing and it's like here wow. it's like there's not wow I didn't know that <laughs> yeah it's, you too must be extra filthy rich because of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I mean it's very difficult to get grants uh like i was talking about the art institute of it's um that's almost as expensive as a ivy league school like it's yeah definitely yeah <laughs> it's like but it's weird like in how it's so not embraced in this like you were saying it's like they vilify it like why do you have any concept of why they why it's like you're a leper if you become an artist um but then it's like, on the other hand, it's also well, like, if you are an artist and you're successful, you're, you know, like, if you're Picasso, you're a fucking god. <laughs> it's like, but if you're some yeah. struggling guy, you're you're almost viewed as like, a oh, lazy drug addict, can't get a job, he's going to fucking paint all day. <laughs> well, hmm, let me, let me think about that. Uh, I think, honestly, it, it become, it's all based on American capitalism, uh, where if you're not making money, you're not valuable. Uh, and then if you're, if you fall outside of that value compartment, then you're uh, kind of looked down upon. I mean, that's happening with teachers. Teachers are, are public employees. Uh, you know, they don't get the best pay. Police officers, same way. Artists, you know, they're on the lower part of that, uh, tier where you know if you if they can't uh, see value in what you do or make money off of what you do then then you're they're not even going to give you time of day. Uh, you know I'm kind of glad that some of that targeting of what we talked about with Jesse Helms has disappeared. I think it's moved on to other other things now. Uh, you know there's a lot of crazy hot topics. Now, <laughs> you know, everybody's against something. They got, they always got to be. Someone has to be the villain. Uh, you know, now it's everybody's talking about guns. Now that the wars have kind of slowed down a little bit, so, uh, so I don't know. As, as far as like art, uh, you know, I guess people are practical up to a point where they do want to know what use it has. Like with Artemat, there's plenty of people that ask me, they stand in front of a machine with a glazed look and they say, well, what is it? Uh, well, it's art. Well, what do you do with it? And I was like, well, you open your mind with it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> level a table with it. I mean, w with Artemat, it's like the use is the experience and that's hard for some people to grasp. Uh, so maybe that's why artists are kind of not really understood i don't know yeah it's like i mean the things i do creatively in the world i i make a lot of uh sacrifices i guess and i you know i i work at a bar a couple of days a week and then <laughs> right. i have like five free days you know to focus on the other things and people can't like they're like they view it as like i'm just some kind of fuck off and it's like yeah yeah it's like i do shit every day it's just not I'm not paving a road. <laughs> it's like, right. 
but yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I uh, you know I freelanced in graphic design ever since uh, I moved to Winston in '96, and then started doing Artemat full time in 2003. But uh, there was one brief period of time where uh, this one agency where I had a cush gig freelance, they pretty much kind of coerced me into taking a full-time job, but it was going to be less pay. And uh, my family, uh, they were giddy. It's like, oh, you know, and it's like, you don't understand. I'm taking a third pay cut of, of what I <laughs> But for some reason, I guess they thought it's security, or, or they just didn't understand the idea that someone can do something without having to toe the line of of the system, I guess, or corporation. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, now, since I kind of work out of a garage, uh, there was a period of time where people thought that I was just screwing around, and uh, but they didn't see the fact I'm working you know, 15 hour days regularly. I mean, I'm always on the clock when I wake up until I go to bed. I got an iPhone, I got email, I got errands to run. I have to build these machines and pack orders. I mean, I guess they look at, you know, someone that's not, uh, you know, traditional and they do think you're screwing off. Um, you know, one thing, on that line, it would be nice to have a, a freestanding studio or at least something a little bit more visible. But the arts district in my town is 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 not very welcoming. Uh, I think they only use uh, that sort of that the artist aspect of things just to help them rent their space. At times, they're not really giving the artists a break. Uh, so what that means is the some of the places, most of the places in our arts district has to be membership-based just to cover the rent. Or if someone is uh, able to cover the rent, maybe their money's coming from somewhere else and it's not their art. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of an odd thing. I mean, since Artemat has grown over the years, and you know, we're hopefully not going anywhere anytime soon. I think some people in town step to me now uh, in a way that they would not do other artists. Uh, they want to make money off of it. and well, You know, they no one's giving anyone any breaks anymore, it doesn't seem like. No. Probably going down, that's probably going down a dark path when I talk <laughs> about this. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, I feel lucky to be doing this you know, but it's just razor thin. I mean, you can, it's not like anyone's doing that well with art. I mean, even when times are good, uh, it's still an envelope of, well, I lost money that year, I made money that year. Uh, things are a little bit better now, but uh, but it's still, with the economy and the way people view things, it can, consumer mor- morale can disappear pretty quick with, just if people start becoming grouchy, usually election years are are bad for for art because everybody gets worked up. So yeah, they always it it's it amazes me that there's politicians who still point to uh, things like song lyrics and art, and it's like as being a problem. It's like really we're going down this this road again. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Haven't we learned this already? I know. But, you know, with Artemat, uh, there's a lot of recessions out there uh, over the last decade. And um, I think we weather that because we make people happy. Uh, and plus it's five bucks. So, I don't know. We're all, all the negative talk and we're usually it's either a disaster or a something that causes people or a housing bubble or something or just you know negative talk in the press you never know if a christmas season is going to be good or bad i mean uh you can see it on the news people people get weary when uh when the news is puts them on edge they stay at home they don't eat out uh things of that nature so i kind of wish that people just stop trying to talk about the doom and gloom uh but, we're, but ever since 9-11 i think this country's been in that sort of mindset where we love to just scare the heck out of people but with with artemat um you know people still buy and they're we still do okay i guess i guess you know we make people happy or something what you were saying about uh, focusing on gloom and doom and and uh i totally agree but I feel like that is what the great thing about art is, and specifically like your Artomat. It's like that to me. That is offering some sort of solution and hope. <laughs> I don't know if right, that sounds right. pretentious or gooey-eyed or whatever. Well, but thank like, you. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, to me, that's what it. And what is so fascinating about what you're doing is that it it is making art accessible, and it's not. And it, it just there's so many, I guess, opportunities on so many levels with what you're doing for artists, for people, uh, for education, frankly, of art. Mm. It's like, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty mind blowing really when you start thinking about it, how, wow. how many different ways you're sort of affecting a positive, uh, influence on, I guess, you know, society in the world and art. Well, thanks. I mean, we, last year we sold close to 50,000 pieces. The year before that we sold more. So that's, that's a lot of, connections potentially of real things being littered around carried around the world you know uh so obviously people are are happy with it uh as far as other art i think that uh you know it comes in waves uh the street street culture really peaked until it got kind of blown out of proportion but i think there's, there shouldn't be any reason in any city where there people would get prosecuted for for uh, doing graffiti. <laughs> uh, if anything, I think maybe set up ground rules like you can only do it on this wall or this the public wall or something like that. I, I kind of wish that was more common because you see that in Europe a lot too. Yeah, it's a, I've seen some in Los Angeles. I've seen some amazing, like really amazing pieces of art that somebody just. And it's like, I mean, it could be gone tomorrow. They could paint over it or, you know, or maybe somebody will be cool and let that exist. There's also a lot of uh, portraits of Dick Clark and Casey Kasem we could do without. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a lot of that here. I'm just like, can we knock that off, please? <laughs> and they always look like they, you know, they, they had trouble during birth. They're never really the great, great uh Portraits, they, right? They look look like Casey Kasem's mom was uh, popping some pills during pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I don't see a whole lot out here, but when I travel, I, you know, I think I 
saw my first Miles Max Mac piece in person, if that's his correct name. He he's doing some good stuff. Uh and then as far as you know, artists I would really travel to see, there's only a handful. Uh but I know plenty of artists, friends that are doing good stuff, just they're they're in the same boat as everybody else. I mean, they'll have a show and wonder if they'll sell anything or not. So yeah, if if somebody sees an artomat and doesn't purchase something, I would. I mean, like I would feel compelled to. <laughs> it's like, I mean, how <laughs> right. could you not? Like, uh, just out of basic curiosity, it'd be like, ooh, what am I? Oh, gonna- they don't, man. People. Some people ask me all sorts of questions and then walk away. Uh, it's interesting. It's a big social experiment. <laughs> That's interesting. What kind of things do people ask you? Is it sort of in like indignant or something? <clears throat> well, they. Well, American Pickers has really brought a lot of people out to pay attention to what we do in, you know, American Restoration, any of that Discovery Channel stuff. And they've also made made it harder for me to find machines. Like, some of these guys have machines they're trying to sell me at very ridiculous prices. Um, so they – I have a satellite studio at a gallery called Delurk here in Winston-Salem, and that's where I show off some of the n- new machines I'm getting ready to ship out – and some of these people who may they they see a lot of eye candy in in the arts district right next to a wine bar, so they're probably going there to get some booze and hang out. But they see uh, and these Artemat machines, like is that an old cigarette machine? And and then it, after we after I talk with them, I explain what I do with them, and we make art. So it moves from this shiny restored object to to uh, Oh, it sells art. So uh, sometimes they'll buy, sometimes they won't. But that's a big investment to kind of go through that whole explanation process to not make a a, a small sale. But uh, whatever. I mean, you know, you, there's other people that travel around the country, like when they're on road trips, and they go out of their way to find an Artemat machine. So it's it's a balance of of who. I don't know. I think everyone nowadays has sensory overload, so they only selectively pay attention to what clicks in their brain. Uh, some people are more uh, able to understand art than others. But, but like I said, if I, it depends on how I feel. If, if I'm tired, I probably won't dig in too much, but uh, I'm pretty good at, at explaining Artemat to people who have no idea uh, what they're looking at at first. But they know it's colorful and it looks fun. So that draws them in. Um, I was curious, too, because you said when you first did uh, the Artomat, the first time you did it at the cafe uh, showing, you had 13 other pieces in that uh, show, correct? Yeah, it was 13 total. Artomat was one of them. Yeah. Oh, what, what, was, what were some of the other uh, pieces of art that were in that? Um. Well, I used to do Polaroid uh, assemblages that were kind of Robert Rauschenberg-like, but not really. Um, So I would use these Polaroids in a painting assemblage, and all the art that was in the Artemat were seconds of the Polaroids that were outtakes I didn't use in the paintings. So uh, let's see. One was called uh, No No Flack from the Homeless. And it was pictures of uh, my wife and I. We had a, a dog, a Siberian Husky named 
Jake, and we uh, took him to D.C. with us to uh, it's back in the 90s, uh, early 90s. And we walked around all the monuments, like the reflecting pool and uh, Lincoln Memorial and things like that. And I've been to D.C. enough, we have friends up there, to know, at least back then, if you're walking around, people would ask you for money. Uh, but what I noticed when we had Jake with us, no one asked us for money. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so that was that, that concept. So it was just an assemblage piece with four pictures of him in front of monuments, one in front of the white house. Um, you know, uh, one was, uh, a piece about how I used to race mountain bikes. I went from riding a bike for fun to racing, and that's when I stopped making art. Uh, you know, and, and I stopped eating potato chips because I was training and stuff like that. So there's a few potato chips on that piece that are there to this day. They haven't broken off. They're just kind of fossilized. Uh, you know, it's just stories. Um uh, one was a uh, a piece about how my grandmother used to wash aluminum foil because she was you know, had to ration in the 40s during the wars, and uh, even though aluminum foil was was kind of worthless by the 80s, she would still be washing it because uh, it was so thin you'd rip it up. But she would have all this foil up in the cabinet that she would reuse. He'd flatten it out and wash it. And that, so little stories like that, uh, observations, uh, including the Artemat was kind of like the stuff I was doing then where instead of writing a short story about it or a little whatever, I would do an assemblage based on that. Uh, and I enjoy little details of that nature. Um, you know, like when I visit basements, uh, in people's houses, I'm more interested in that than what they've done upstairs because you get to see the the human side of them. In many situations, you'll visit somebody's house that you don't maybe don't know them that well. Uh, maybe they have a party or get together. Um, the house is immaculate; it looks kind of like a hotel room almost or model home. And I wonder what people do with their stuff. I mean, I try to stay, I'm a neat freak or reformed neat freak. I, <laughs> place is a wreck. You work here, the place is a wreck. Dust everywhere because too busy working. But, um, but I wonder what people do with all these things because I have so much stuff laying around and it's hard to, to hide it away. Well, uh, what happens is you, you find the basement and that's where, uh, Maybe most people don't end up with much, as much stuff as I do because people give me stuff just because they know I'd appreciate it. But um, that's where you see the real life of someone. Uh, you find those little pockets of, of where where things are real. And that's what I like. That's so a... I pick up on I, I, I pick up on traits of people like that sometimes, and and I really enjoy it. That's a really interesting concept because I've never thought of it that way, but it is like. It's very true. It's like you go down to the basement and you really kind of get a concept of who somebody really is. Oh, it's it's 
is so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, but there's, I guess, uh, I think people throw away things more now too. Uh, you don't see as much cool stuff in basements because uh, with Walmart and big box stores, no one's in need of anything now, really, unless you, unless you are having really problems with your life. But most people, you know, if they need an appliance, they go get it, and then if they don't like it, it ends up in the basement. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Used to be, you find really cool stuff in basements, but now it seems to be not as cool. But still, you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just to wrap up real quick, uh, I wanted to just if you can tell people where they can find your your website and do you have Twitter or any of that stuff? Yeah, we do Twitter. Uh, I don't really do it that often, but I need to. Uh, we uh, but our main website is. Uh, Artomat.org, so it's A-R-T-O-M-A-T dot O-R-G, and uh, we have a decent following on Facebook. You just have to find our page on there. Uh, and if you just Google Artomat, most of most of uh, most of yeah. that information comes up. Yeah, you know we do Instagram. Uh, my webmaster modified my phone, so if I do an Instagram pic, it'll go automatically to Facebook and Twitter if I want it to. So um, so that's kind of cool. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll go follow you on Instagram as soon as, as, soon as we finish. I, thank you very much, Clark. I, this has really been great. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Oh, yeah. I hope I didn't babble too much. but I, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> It was perfect. I, I, I feel like I've learned a great deal. So, And that's uh, one of the reasons I do this is to educate my own dumb brain. <laughs> Cool. Awesome. Well, one thing before we leave, just, you know, if it, I just want to drive home the fact that if you're an artist, we, we want to hear from you. Uh, if you think this is a fit for what you do, we I think we can figure out how you can have a blast with this and get your work out there. So. Great. Uh, thank you very much, Clark. All right. And if you uh, thank you very much for listening to the show liked it, please uh, tell your friends, tweet about it, share it with your friends, converse. Uh, you can also uh, support the show by donating some money um, there through my page on the feralaudio.com. You can, you can uh, donate some money there. Uh, it helps us keep alive, eat food, pay rent, buy materials, buy recording stuff, uh, gas money, phone bills so I can talk to people. Dustin Marshall, who produces my show, uh, needs it eat and enjoy life uh, if you can't afford to donate something if you want to buy something on Amazon you need to buy some socks through Amazon or a DVD there's a link you can go through Amazon and buy some stuff and we get a kickback that'd be pretty awesome uh, follow me on Twitter please Matt underscore Dwyer at twitter.com and uh, yeah I think it's a good, uh, explore the other shows on feralaudio.com there's some really great shows going on uh, thank you very much and uh, I have some really great shows coming up in the future, so please uh, keep listening. And remember, art is hope. And uh, do something creative. It makes you feel good. Thank you. Bye.
government it is the mission of the national security agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security <laughs> the nsa has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary tapped incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the nsa now on feralaudio.com